Hello, and welcome to the Communication Solution Podcast. Here at IFIOC, we love to talk communication. We love to talk motivational interviewing, and we love talking about improving outcomes for individuals, organizations, and the communities that they serve. Today, we've got Casey Jackson on the line, John Gilbert, and I'm Tammy. Welcome to the conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another podcast with the IFISC team. And we have a guest today, Sarah Cameron, if I'm saying <laughs> Cameron. Right. Uh, Cameron. Oh, gosh. I thought when I, I thought that was what it would be. But then when I read it up top, I was like, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try yeah. it. Anyhow. From that last year you spent in Spain, John. <laughs> yes. Yes. Clearly. Clearly. <laughs> Anyhow, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us here to uh, really be curious what you have to bring to the table because you I know you have at least one question, but you've been sending questions uh, over time to Casey since you kind of came across us. And so we thought we'd have you on to uh, just geek out with us on MI. And you recently have um, uh, become a national certified health and wellness coach, which has MI sounds like as a as a backdrop in there quite a bit. So you've been even more immersed in it. So it's interesting to hear that perspective too. If you want to bring that in, um, whatever you would like to explore, it is completely your field to do so with Casey and I. So with that in mind, Sarah, what would you like to say? What are you curious about? And what would you like to explore? Yeah. Well, first off, thank you so much for having me. I have become quite the MI geek and I look up to you all very highly. So uh, I, this is like meeting with celebrities to me. Um, so I'm very excited. Uh, After half an hour, we'll dispel that completely. Yeah. All right. All right. Um, well, I come to you with questions um, that kind of come from a different webinar that I was watching, actually two different webinars. Okay. Okay. And they had someone on who was talking about MI um, and they were talking about MI in the health coaching world. And someone brought up compassion fatigue. And it really got me thinking, I wonder where compassion fatigue actually fits in to MI. Um, and I kind of wondered if you're truly honoring autonomy and if you're truly empathizing how does compassion fatigue build so that's kind of my first question well that there's at least an hour and a half conversation <laughs> or a six hour training mm. brilliant i just this way sarah mm. i love when you know when you connect with me on email and, and we've chatted before i mean i already have a, a hundred different thoughts going through my brain and partly it's off of kind of a new way I've been looking at empathy as well, too. The first thing I always say is that there's so many good, smart MI trainers out there. And, you know, and all of us have kind of our own take on it and some of the, some of the kind of uh, similar takes and different takes on things. One of the things that I had a chance to talk to Bill Miller about, I actually had a, um, I always say this, as a social worker, I was so excited when he and Stephen Rolnick were writing about compassion and as a trainer, I'm going, why the heck are you writing about compassion? Like, it is hard enough for me to get people to really understand accurate empathy. And now we have metrics around that. Why are you introducing compassion? Is it necessary? Do we really need to talk compassion if we have accurate empathy? And this kind of gets to your a little bit of an answer to your question. What 
he said to me when I kind of pinned him in a corner to training and, and was talking to him about this, he said, you know, we're spending so much time measuring empathy, which needs to happen, you know, for evidence-based practice, for us to have some metrics to be able to get this. But he said, part of my concern is I can train a used car salesman to express accurate empathy. That doesn't make it motivational interviewing. The used car salesman can understand who you are and what you're about and what you want and and not share anything about themselves and get completely oriented to reality and use that to, you know, make a sale. And he said, that's, that's not motivational interviewing. So we have to look beyond that. And he goes, and I don't care if we can ever measure compassion. It needs to be part of the conversation. So what he said with compassion is compassion is that thing that gets us up in the morning that makes us want to kind of, you know, improve our corner of the world. And when we see people that we just have that, that compassion. And this is where it started for me, kind of came to an answer with what you just asked um, with the compassion fatigue. He said, the thing with compassion is your, that well of compassion inside of you should not be getting filled up with the people that you serve. That well of compassion inside of you should get filled up from things like spiritual pursuits and recreational activities and family and friends and, and things that just fill you up inside. And that's what that keeps that compassion well full. But if that's what you're expecting to get from your clients, that kind of that well of compassion filled up, that's, I think what he's alluding to is where compassion fatigue comes from. What I'm going to, what I'm going to take that part of that response and add to something that struck me recently that I've been thinking about. I was in an amazing conversation with this woman, Teresa, a first nation um, individual out of Minnesota, actually. And I was just working with her this week. And one of the things we we're talking about from a cross-cultural perspective, and when I was talking about empathy, because she was talking about, I'm just concerned about judgment and bias and things get pushed in there. I said, the thing for me about high accurate empathy, the reason why I get so obsessed with it is it feels like every time I get a chance to talk with someone, I get to go on vacation to a different culture, which I love to travel. So I love that. And so I think with compassion fatigue for me, what I think of from that angle is empathy is such an amazing skill set and and something we can master. And the more we focus on our mirror neurons and, and really work on, we can get really high accurate empathy from this compassionate perspective. But I don't, I can get tired when I go on vacation and go to a different culture, but every day I wake up excited, ready to, to explore new things. And even at the end of the day, if my feet are tired and I'm exhausted and maybe the food isn't sitting well with me because it is a different culture, I still wake up the next morning. And I can't wait to go again. And so I think from that perspective with empathy, um, I, I don't get exhausted from being empathetic. That's just me. And so this is why I'm not going to project compassion fatigue onto anyone else and, and how it could be a natural part of MI or not a natural part of MI. But what I think of is, is discerning between those two constructs, I think is helpful. And looking where the fatigue is coming from is helpful. I think sympathy is exhausting because sympathy can have a sense where we're disempowered often. Like, I, I don't even know how, you know, I can't even imagine how you feel. I can't imagine what it would be like in your situation. I don't, I'm not even sure what to say. It just, there's almost this sense of helplessness to sympathy. And I think people can confuse sympathy and empathy or the energies around those. And I think constant states of being sympathetic can be exhausting emotionally for us. And for me, empathy can be so stimulating. So I think looking at those three constructs of sympathy, empathy, and compassion, I think it helps us get clear where does the fatigue come from? 
and I can be fatigued. <laughs> I now that I've jumped on the bandwagon of Peloton, I can be extremely fatigued after a thirty-minute ride. But I also feel better throughout the day too because I got in and got that ride in. And so I think there's a difference between that exhaustive fatigue that it just feels like I can't go to work anymore, I can't do this anymore, it's just draining me, and and healthy stretching of ourselves and growth that can be emotionally taxing. But there's something incredibly growthful around it at the same time. So I'm just going to spit all of that out and just see what your thoughts or reactions to the context that you were listening to that in. So I don't know if that's helpful or not, but to kind of clean some of it yeah, up. Yeah, that's that's very helpful. And it actually gets me thinking about you kind of presented the idea that it's different for each individual and that's how they work through or maybe avoid compassion fatigue. Um, it also gets me thinking about there's an article out there by Roger Neighbor, his name is, and he talks about a switch and it's an empathy or not empathy switch. Um, and he says that you can't just toggle in the middle, that that can lead to compassion fatigue. Just being in that middle ground nonstop, you have to be on or off with the switch. Um, and that got me thinking about that as well. One of the basics that I, when we're talking empathy and sympathy is just, I get people get really, really clear about being in the non-negative way, just self-centered versus other-centered. And when you think about it, you can't sustain being other-centered for vast periods of time because we have our own needs that we need to pay attention to. So we can't be other-centered exclusively at all times there's there's times that we have to be self-centered just with whatever we're talking about with nourishment whatever it is so i think that when we look at context because i i know i know your brain well enough to go it's like i just don't want the pat answer or just kind of what the fad answer is it's like what when we deconstruct what are we talking about and i think that thing about being other centered for long periods of time and if you are trying to toggle in between, I think that's where we get into things that we think we're being empathetic, like with reflective statements, because we can say reflective statements all day long, and it doesn't mean we're actually reflecting empathetically. It doesn't mean we're getting clear about who this other person is. It just means we're reflecting words if we're not going deeper into their experience. So I think that may be partly what he's referencing too, that it's like, that that's just a, a space. And then when the person doesn't feel heard and understood, and we keep reflecting, then it's just like, oh, that's just an awkward place because it's not self-centered and it's not other-centered. It's just kind of this no man's land that I think can be exhaustive as well too. So I don't know if that fits from what you read or not, but that th that's where my brain kind of goes as I deconstruct it. Yeah, absolutely. I hadn't thought about that toggle switch in that way either, that if you're in the middle as the whatever clinician, coach, psychologist, whatever you yeah. are, if you're in the middle, it's going to come out with Levels of MI that aren't the highest levels of MI <laughs> with yes. just so simple yes. reflections. Um, and you can't, like you're saying, if you're not over to on the empathy side of that switch, you can't do complex affirmations that, that kind of build, build that reflection, build your understanding of that person. What struck me when you're just talking about that too, I, I, cause I've been obsessed with mirror neurons for the last chunk of time and, and just the source of empathy from that. And, you know, there's controversy around it and then there's some, some strength around it as well too. But I think even that, I, what just struck me is we can get tired. I mean, I, we can get tired of staring at a computer screen, you know, we can get tired and get a, you know, a writer's cramp in our brain or in our hand when we just focus on something, focusing on your mirror neurons for long periods of time, if you're not used to exercising, that can be exhaustive of just trying to be so 
focusing that concentrated part of your brain, of course, there's going to be fatigue. I mean, you're working something out. There's going to get some fatigue to it. And I think that's why for me, it's and then what? So is it fatigue that you can feel is making you stronger and it may be breaking down some muscle to build some muscle? That's a different kind of fatigue versus every day you just feel weaker and weaker and weaker and more fatigued and more fatigued and more fatigued. So it's just like, I think the the general stereotype with compassion fatigue is it's breaking me down. Like I just can't do this anymore or I just need a break from this. And which I think is absolutely real for people. But I think understanding what it is and what is where is it coming from, I think is very helpful. And I, I think that's that's part of that self-assessment, self-awareness as well too. And I think it's just like this, I think there's a semantics aspect of it too, is what are we really talking about? Yeah. You're bringing up a really good point right now too, that that it's been rolling through my head and I wanted to bring it up. So I'm glad you did that. There has to be a difference between burnout, vicarious trauma and compassion fatigue. Yes. They're, they're all like cousins, but they're not the same thing. Yes. yes. I think that is such a smart way to look at it because when you think about it, it, there's reasons why people write about those differently, but I think just like sometimes empathy, sympathy or empathy and compassion tend to get a little bit smushed together and they kind of make an amalgam out of it. And it's like, that's, they are distinctly different. I think there is a Venn diagram there, but I think they're also distinctly different energies with that because, you know, the secondary trauma, things that we can experience that that's just a different thing that's happening within us um, versus the just absolute burnout versus the compassion fatigue because you don't have to have compassion to get burnout. You know, you can be an accountant and get burnout. You can get, you can be any profession and get burned out, um, which is a distinctly different thing than, than the compassion fatigue. And, and it is because, and I think why this is so relevant, I mean, why I love to bring this up so relevant to motivational learning, because what we're looking at is we're looking at behavior change with another person. And in traditional models, we're so much as experts or medical models, we tend to be infusing our perspective so much more in traditional interventions. You know, it's, it's kind of our expertise, our knowledge base, our wheelhouse, our skill set that we're trying to impart and help people develop plans based on our, our knowledge and where they say they want to go. And with motivational learning, it's so other centered and you're dealing not only with getting out of the, the discord and the resistance, then you're trying to navigate someone else's, you know, their own ambivalence and trying to keep your own bias out of that at the same time. It's just, that's a, that's a, that's a lot to manage. Um, it's like, I, I can't remember if I was showing these pictures when I, when I was doing the, the MICA training with you, but I, I showed these three pictures with equipoise, you know, and there's, there's a woman who's in this position where she's just standing on her head, literally with her arms to the side on her head only, you know, and I just think how oh, that weight supported on there. And she's just perfectly balanced. And another guy who's kind of squatting on one leg on a medicine ball and, and he's got these weights and he's on one leg. And, and what I always tell people is if these people have mastered these positions and I guarantee they can only sustain it for a period of time till they have to drop everything and shake everything out. It's just because you're strong and good at it and have mastered it doesn't mean it doesn't cause exhaustion in their body um, or, or cause something in their body. And you have to get out and you have to shake it all out. Whenever you're using muscles that concentrate, and this is John's area of expertise, there's going to be you know, some wavering. There's going to be some muscle exhaustion from that. And so I think that's where you get into, is it a burnout thing? Is it a fatigue thing? Which is, again, completely different than if we're experiencing secondary trauma or um, some of those things that can happen you know, as we're listening to people's struggles. I don't know, John, what's your thought? This, the most quiet I've ever 
not heard you. So uh, <laughs> any thoughts, John? <laughs> You've had a lot to share. So it's like, well, it would be, and then Sarah's our guest. So um, there's a lot that she's sharing. That's very interesting. Um, there's a million different things I could say. So I'm just going to organize as best I can with how things have come up. But Sarah, you bringing up what you just brought up is critical. What are we even talking about? Right? Like there's, I'm just completely humbled to anyone that's listening. That's there's people that get their PhDs in what we're talking about, right? That go deep into things like what is compartmentalization? And Casey, you're talking about where is there this, you know, boundary of sorts that I'm interpreting and where is there this working out of building that capacity, that well of compassion, right? These are things that go well beyond the professional world into how much do you feel compassion for other human beings at all? And what are we even talking about when we're talking about that? And what is burnout versus compassion fatigue? I mean, I could take a guess from what I've looked into, but that is, I don't know exactly. In motivational interviewing, it's that their agenda matters in more than your agenda for them in essence, right? Yeah. And and so it's like, can you still have healthy boundaries, which there's plenty of books written about that are just great on this for yourself. It's up to you to have those healthy boundaries as a personal person or a professional person. And it's up to you to figure out a way to not build resentment around that. And that's really hard to do when you're relying on the stability and security of a certain kind of a job. Um, and you know that world and you're comfortable with that world. And or if you're in a certain relationship or whatever it is, there's a certain level of how do you care for another person while still caring for yourself that Brene Brown and other people talk about, which is self-compassion. So are we talking about compassion always for someone else in like an MI thing? But then when you're a real human to not build resentment, you got to build up a well of your own compassion. And when we have so much depression and antidepressive drugs and the amount of suicides we're having, maybe we're not working on the well of compassion that we need to have versus just focusing on boundaries or just focusing on this kind of a training. There are things that the research has shown to help with things like compassion, like Casey, you were talking about, like loving kindness meditation. That works a particular area of the brain that helps with random acts of kindness and things that are, are measurable for compassion. There's also, so that's the working outside of it that takes time and effort, which I totally have dropped off on doing that <laughs> style of meditation. I try to keep on my other, but that takes time and effort. So you're asking someone to do time and effort when they're already probably exhausted in some way. Yeah. Then now I'm supposed to make new friends or something else. Now I got to do this. Can't I just get some relief and get some boundaries up? I think that's where this conversation goes is to that like boundary isolation when Really, it's about compassion is about, in my layman, relatively uneducated way of describing it, it's loving and caring. And, and that loving kindness book that Dr. William Miller wrote, who's the, one of the main people in MI, that's what it's about. The context is going to matter. Your belief systems are going to matter. And I'm talking at a really way zoomed out version, but all that is going to matter to how I see you and how I treat you. But to me, all the well you were talking about, building up that well, I think could get a lot more uh, attention for exactly the sorts of things we're seeing happening in the world right now, to have more of that well of caring and loving. And then from that place, how do we set up our own healthy boundaries for our limits of where we get 
whatever that is, too stretched, too thin, like you were talking about, Casey. And then last but not least, how do we create environments and practices with our people or our work environments around us that help us build that muscle, that help us build towards that with friends, with work environments. So I think it's a very nuanced, multifactorial thing that I don't have the answer for, but I think I could point us in a direction of loving kindness and some other things that would potentially help. So I don't know, but hopefully that adds some some thoughts there on it. <laughs> Definitely adds thoughts. <laughs> Value Just, added thoughts. I'll be, <laughs> I'll be clear about my intention. Was <laughs> so Sarah, yeah, I don't know what, what, what have you looked into for your clearly Venn diagram of like, what are you talking about when you're talking about compassion fatigue versus burnout versus secondary trauma, where you care about another individual and then you've been through something similar. I mean, the Jonathan, the guy that we had on from the Social Worker Podcast, has a has a great podcast on the difference between trauma and stress and and recovery with post traumatic growth. You know, so I'm wondering what you've looked into for what really is, what are you really asking about with compassion versus trauma versus burnout? Yeah, and I actually did some digging, um, and I did some, well, yeah, I guess just digging into different various definitions that people have of compassion fatigue. Some people just call it empathy overload, like you've just been empathetic for way too long and it's just built up over time. Um, and you've just kind of reached that limit, um, whatever that limit might be for each person. But the definition that really troubled me as far as how it aligns with MI, I don't know if I'm saying these names right, Figley and Stam. <laughs> they say that empathy, or I'm sorry, that compassion fatigue is experience of deep empathy for a person's suffering coupled with a desire to resolve their misfortune or remedy their, their plan. In my mind, I didn't understand how that fits with MI because we're, if you're truly being if you have fidelity to MI, then how do you couple empathy with a desire to resolve their, their stuff? <laughs> um, it just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, your desire is to help them resolve their stuff. I mean, that's, that's the slight modification is just that, you know, the desire is to help them resolve their ambivalence in a way that aligns with their values and their goals and, and the target behaviors. I mean, that's, that's your best case scenario in a guiding situation. I I don't know if there's, I think there might be something here when I think about what hit me with the guiding, I was just thinking about one of our definitions we used in the MICA in the, in some of the first iterations of it had to do with um, kind of helping someone whose ship is off course or stuck or lost or has no course. And traditionally what people tend to think of, and I, I we really talk about this quite a bit, is that our natural instinct as a helper is to kind of take the wheel and help get them unstuck. I think that can be exhausting. What we always talk about with supporting autonomy and activation is that if it's truly supporting an autonomy and activation, then you believe everybody deserves to be the captain of their own ship. So why are you stepping in and taking their wheel? There's a disempowerment from that, that, that I know better than you, or I can do better than you, or here, let me show you how to do it, which is a very egocentric perspective or self-centered perspective. And what we talk about is to be an expert navigator you have to be aware of how the captain thinks, but you also need to be aware of their destination and aware of the here and now of what's going on with the tide and the, the weather and things like that and not lose sight of where their treasure or their destination is. That can be exhausting, but you never go and take the wheel 
And I think that, I don't know if that gets to what you're talking about or put some words around that construct to get a little bit clear about what are we trying to do? Because some of these things do overlap, but in my mind, when I think of motivation, when I'm training on it, there's some of these things really need to be differentiated because even with a slight adjustment in your thinking, it really does change how you embody that or how do you try to operationalize that. And that, that will make a big difference. And especially when you're thinking about things like the difference between burnout or trauma or fatigue, or just, it was a good workout. I, the, the other thing you said that really struck me too, that kind of the chronic exposure to empathy is what does make sense to me is even if I love to travel, if, you know, I go on a, a, a month long trip and get home and unpack my suitcase and pack it again, and then leave the next day for another one month trip and they get home and come home for a month and unpack. Like if you don't have a home base to just kind of <laughs> just relax for a minute, yeah, that would get exhausting no matter how much you love to travel. But that shouldn't be motivational interviewing either because what any of the any of the great minds in MI would say is not every conversation is or should be motivational interviewing. Not every conversation needs to be highly empathetic. It, it's it's we pull it out for very specific reasons to accomplish very, you know, hopefully very specific outcomes for other individuals to help them move in that direction. So, I think I that's why I love the way that you look up some of these definitions because it's like I can see the thinking behind it, but then there's just kind of our take on, or, or my take or John's take on this is, this is kind of the adaptation, the way that I look at it from my experience and the way that I apply motivational interviewing. Yeah, I'll throw in here, Sarah, too. I'm curious more of the, the research you've done. You're looking at the notes. <laughs> you're like super prepared. It's wonderful. I, I was all okay, into I'm this. I'm more. telling you I'm nerdier than you can even imagine. <laughs> Oh, that's wonderful. Well, John can imagine a lot with nerdiness, trust me. He, he can totally imagine. So one one thing with, with this too that comes back to something like talked about a lot in like occupational therapy is bandwidth. And that's the well, that's the whatever. And different people are going to have that differently. And some people... Uh, you know, as Casey, you tell me, are extroverts and recharge their battery from being with people or being outwardly focused. Some people are more inwardly focused. And I, I just want to acknowledge it's like, it's so different. And I don't, there's people that could be listening to this. And I'm just recently reflecting on some uh, with the organization we're working with the amount of difficulty of the situations they're facing of aggressive to passive aggressive to just it's not even, you could say, you could relate it to compassion, but you could relate it to empathy. It's that it's, it's this sense of being attacked and a belief around that, that you can know it's not about you, that you feel for the person. And yet I continue to get attacked day in and day out. And just to be the Dalai Lama or someone that could just be there and just feel those feelings, we could theoretically talk about the difference between sympathy and empathy. Uh, the Dalai Lama talks a lot about compassion, and yet he feels their feelings when, you know, you could say maybe that's tipping into sympathy at a certain point when he gets so sad, but I'm, I'm simply trying to highlight how difficult this is to like talk about what are we really talking about and at what point does it become traumatizing? And is it like a bruise that you just keep hitting? And yes, you might have stronger skin than someone else, or maybe you hit your uh, shin a little less with that bruise because you know how to compartmentalize or um, whatever that is for you. At a certain point, it just seems like there's a certain amount of wear and tear to any human 
in any particular kind of situation that's easy for us to talk about versus be about day in and day out and then not have the support system to re recharge in the ways like you were talking about, Casey. So whatever that is, I think there's a there there to tap into that someone would need a support system. Someone would need a sense of either a therapist or someone to understand what is going on inside of them um, and or a support system around them to understand that, to have a well buildup of compassion. And then from there, make a more informed choice. Is this really healthy for me, given my capacity, my bandwidth to handle all this and that that would require change and that's uncomfortable too. So which discomfort do I want to choose? And that brings me back to the very first thing you brought up, Sarah, is to me where it relates to what you said in an MI perspective of compassion is that ambivalence, especially when it's amplified, is suffering. That's my definition that I'm putting out there that could be wrong, but it doesn't feel good to sit on a fence. Hence thinking of sitting on a sharp, weird fence. It's uncomfortable. And the more that becomes amplified, if you have compassion for that person, my belief is that you've, you're like, oh gosh, you could call it empathy or whatever you want to call it. It's like, I want to help alleviate, if I'm using the right word, their suffering. And when someone feels that ambivalence, I don't want them to feel that because I care for them to not feel suffering. That's my closest thing that came to my mind when you were talking about that particular thing, which is why I align so much of the resolve of something towards some kind of happier, healthier that MI is about. It's that we don't define what that happier, healthier is about. So to me, there is some kind of alignment there. And then earlier, Casey, you said we don't always use MI conversations. It reminds me of that Terry Moyers thing, but we got to wrap up soon. But there's a whole story you have related to even the greats will say, MI, there's not always a time that you got to do MI. So anyhow, that's that's some of the thoughts that I have related to what you brought up, Sarah. But if there's anything else, we got to wrap up here soon. But what, if anything else, would you like to add to the conversation or any other kind of key questions you want to throw out there for people to think about? Maybe we could do another future one together. Just anything else you'd like to share? Yeah, I, I think this conversation could go on for probably like three hours, but I have so many more questions. So many more. I guess my, (laughs) my thoughts, thanks John for saying, like, I think what you were were tapping into that really kind of intrigued me was the idea of having a finger on your own pulse of your own kind of empathy tank as well. And you said it much better than I'll say it now, but kind of like that you have to understand what, what level your tank is at when it's completely depleted. Only you as a practitioner, as a coach, as a psychologist, whoever can know that. Um, I guess my questions are like, now, now that we've gotten to this point in the conversation, how, how do we use MI skillfully then to learn how to gauge our own tanks and to learn how to um, make sure we're using M- MI in a way that we don't deplete our tank completely? Um, yeah, that's my next questions, I guess. Well, I think there's when people think they're using MI or, or getting used to trying to use the, the micro skills and really understanding the intention, the mindset behind it. And what I always think of is motivation really should be an empowering conversation, no matter how it exists, is that one of my favorite lines is ultimately you get to choose. This is your life. You get to choose that. And there's something about that just cuts off the onus on my part because it is not my life. 
And I think that's the part of MI that is such an empowerment model, which means that as if I'm doing that, that's part of me taking care of myself. It's not my life. It really is not. And I, but you have to believe that embody that it's not my life. But maybe between the two of us, we can build a better mousetrap. I'm, I'm willing to show up 110% if you want to show up 110%. Um, and I want to be able to ignite that desire for to be the best version of yourself uh, in that process as well, too. And I think those are the things that self-assessment, like you're talking about, and I, I jumped on the same thing that John said with the bandwidth piece of it, I think is so critical because that is exactly where you're going to be able to self-assess. Am I stretching my bandwidth more or I just don't have any bandwidth left with all the things that are going on in the world? And what do you do if um, you're so at those that point? Things. What do you do if you're, and if you're at that, that your tank is empty? How do you come that's back exactly, from that? That's exactly, and I think this is it. And it, it's it's that, then it comes into the self-love that John was talking about earlier. And in that relationship with, and is this conversation meant to be an MI-based conversation? Am I trying to help someone resolve their ambivalence so they can get their behavior to align with their values and their goals and the target behavior? I mean, that, and if it's not that kind of a conversation, or you're not trying to reduce tension or discord, we know it's going to be less MI based in that. It doesn't mean it has to be less empathetic. So I think that's why, because not everybody uses MI and they still get burnout and compassion fatigue. Um, but I think that self-assessment is just critical. That's that's why the part of the mica that I love is the the um, intentions. You know, what is your intention going into this? And usually our intention, if we're not mindful, is to fix things. Whether you're a health coach, you're a psychiatrist, whether you're you know, anything in behavior, we just tend to want to fix things. And it's like, oh, that's just, we're talking about very complex organisms. You never know if you're really fixing the right thing then, because there's so many things that could be fixed. Is it their perspective? Is it their thinking? Is it that, you know, just ah, can go on forever and ever. But anyway, so yeah, yeah. Sarah, we're going to have to pick this conversation up because there, there's, there's no way we can end it right now. Uh, it's just like, oh my God, there's too many things. Now I've got 500 other things that I want to talk about, mm -hmm. yep. mm -hmm. which means you've got at least another 500 things you want to talk <laughs> right. about. Right, I do. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, well, thank you, Sarah, so much. Yeah, because there's so much I want to expand on there too, but I'll just cut myself off as well. But really appreciate your um, astute observations and your curiosity into this world that really has still so much to be discovered around what is what and <laughs> why and now how and just there's still so much it's not that that will ever maybe cease i don't know uh, but there's still so much to discover around these topics we're talking about how to even potentially maybe measure them how to seek support systems for getting that sense of what your tank is and how to do that, not in a calloused way, how to do it in a healthy way and all this sort of stuff that's easy to talk about versus be about. I think you bring up really, really critical things for the future of our society on many, many levels. So thank you very oh, much for that. You. genuinely. And uh, hey. where, where can people uh, find you or contact you? You said you'd be open to something like that. So if you're, if they're interested to geek out with you or anything else, what's uh, your contact info and anything else you might like to add? Yeah, um, for sure. If anyone wants to reach out and nerd out with me at all, uh, I'm always down for that. Uh, my email is Sarah with an H dot Cameron, C-A-M-E-R-O-N dot Minnesota spelled out. You have to look that one up uh, at gmail.com. So it's Sarah dot Cameron dot Minnesota at gmail. Camaro, well, Camaro, definitely. Camaro, Camaro, sure. yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, like Camaro, but yeah. Um, uh, Tammy and I didn't talk about this, and Tammy does our marketing, so uh, 
you you can correct me after this time, but Sarah, I don't know if you know that we do uh, a monthly kind of for MI geeks. Uh, it's a Friday, one Friday a month on, uh, and it's actually a week from this Friday. It's when you're part of the MI plus. And I just think since you're on here, if you don't have it, um, I think we need to start to, when we have guests on here that love MI as much as we do, that we're just going to give you, if you don't have the membership, we're going to give you the membership. Um, just so if you want to, because th- we get to get in these conversations with people from all over the world that, that get together once a month and just kind of geek out together. Um, that would so be amazing. If you don't have it, we'll make sure you get that, um, <laughs> the MI plus membership. And, and just for being on here as a guest, I just, I, you definitely, I want to give you access to that and then join us on that because that is where it's just, it's fascinating. It's all MI geeks to get on once a month to just talk about whatever comes up and it goes down some of the most fascinating rabbit holes. I so love that. If you, have, if you haven't done that before and I want to invite you to do that because it is, we have so much fun that on that. Great. I try to so. engage people all the time and they are not MI geeks and they are just yeah, flat well, face. Like, I don't even know. I, what I've got your about. tribe. I've got a tribe for you to join. <laughs> so. <laughs> yes. Yes. No. And as we're on that topic too, just for you, Sarah, but also anyone that's interested um, listening as well, it's, we have these MI mini trainings that we did that also they can go in a variety of directions. We just had it on equipoise, which there was so much more to get into with that, with like influence and ethical influence and what projection, right? There's so many things you can get into with equipoise and who's defining it in different ways. And so just things like that. We also have our MI mini trainings once a month as well. So you have at least two things a month. Uh, that you can geek out on with different people that want to join and then kind of resonate with how we approach MI, hopefully in a still aligned way with the intentions is the, is the whole goal. So Inia, Sarah, anything else you'd like to add before we sign off? No, this was lovely. It's great yeah. seeing you again, Sarah. Thank you guys so much. This was fun. <laughs> yeah, great chatting. Super fun. Hopefully I get to do it again sometime, Sarah. Yes. So, all right, well, take care. Bye. And thank you so much, Sarah. All right. Bye, everyone. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Communication Solution Podcast. As always, this podcast is all about you. So if you have questions, thoughts, topic suggestions, ideas, please send them our way at Casey at IFIOC.com. That's C-A-S-E-Y at IFIOC.com. For more resources, feel free to check out IFIOC.com. We also have a public Facebook group called Motivational Interviewing Every Day. We have an amazing blog and we have lots of communication tips on our website. In addition to all these amazing resources, we do offer online public courses on our website on motivational interviewing and effective communication strategies. Thanks for listening to the Communication Solution by IFIOC.